Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Jay Davis Show. Uh, super excited for our guest today. Kelly Perkins is the founder and CEO of Spinster Sisters. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Kelly. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you. Yeah, me too. Well, why don't you give the listeners kind of a rundown background bio real quick? Yeah, no problem. I um, am a first-time entrepreneur. Uh, I have literally learned my business from the ground up. Uh, you know, we work in retail, and I have never worked in retail before. So I started doing craft fairs and farmer's markets when I first started the company. Uh, and people would come in the booth and say, we want to wholesale your account or your products. And I would go home and Google, what does wholesale mean? So <laughs> I literally learned it from the ground up. Um, we've been in business for about 11 years now. Uh, we are sold in about 3,500 stores around the country. Country. Um, we make natural plant-based skincare products. And we are on a mission to be plastic-free and water free. Incredible that you're a first time founder. I mean, that is unreal because I think it's it's a steep learning curve. It's not, it's it's usually something you got to do. And I love that you're like, what does that mean? I still feel that way. I, I'm, uh, I think we all do. I don't think that's what, that's what's great is as entrepreneurs, it's like, it's constant. That is entrepreneurship at its core is constantly going to a place where you're like, I don't know how to do this either. And everyone's asking me to do it. Uh, what have been some of the biggest lessons as you've pushed into new places where you're doing things you've never done before? I have made a lot of mistakes. Um, I learned stuff that's new every day still, 11 years into this. Um, I would say, um, you know, like my biggest mistake was trying to limp uh, implement an uh, entire ERP system when we were still a small company. Yeah. And really what we needed was basic inventory control. So I uh, have historically had some issues with doing things for companies that are bigger than what we needed at the time. So that has been, it's made me much more cautious about uh, big booms that we make and things like that now. But that's a great one. I think especially now in, in our day of LinkedIn, email, that whole game where we're getting, I'm sure you get them, every founder who has a business that's done well, hundreds of emails just, and then they guilt trip you. Look They're what like, we've accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> or I love the, why aren't you responding to me? Well, because I don't know you. I, don't, I, I never asked you to email me. Um. And it's hard because you're constantly being pitched. Oh, do you know what the secret to your success is? This software that you need to pay a hundred grand for. And it's easy to get pulled into this mentality of, I'm just missing all these things. And what's funny is as PillowCube has grown, we've gone back to like Shopify, Attentive. Like we're kind of using a core group of softwares and it's nothing crazy. And it's working better and we're making more money and costing less. That is exactly what we learned and what we did as well. I'm glad we're on the right track. That's awesome. Do you get the 879 emails per day about using TikTok? Oh, yeah. That's my entire feed yes. every day. Oh, yeah. I just took someone from 10 grand a month to 20 grand a month. And it's like, well, that's great. 
I'm not knocking it, but we're doing more than that by a bit. And so that's not super exciting for me. And, and it's just constant. I can be your new ad buyer. I can be your new email group. And it's hard to find the great people because you're just constantly being told. It's like a constant grass is greener on the other side all day long. We're better. We know this. So anyways, it's hard. And, it's and hard. how do you know who's legit and who's not legit? And yeah. yeah. So, so the ERP was a good lesson, I'm sure. Uh, yes. Any other things that kind of stand out as you guys have scaled? I love the simplified. I mean, that's awesome. Any other things? Another big lesson for me was just being authentic to what I am trying to accomplish and hoping that our, it resonates with our consumers. Um I think it's easy to get caught up into you need to make your story a brand and it needs to be about this and you know here's what your marketing needs to look like and for me I would just rather we be ourselves out there and and hope that it, like I said that it resonates with people. So I think um polished isn't always the best thing and like you said super high tech isn't always the best thing just doing what you need to do and talking about what your values and your mission and what your products are about and what your company's about and why you're doing it um be real about all of those things i think that is such an amazing lesson i think everyone it's so easy to think well i got to become this entrepreneur and i got to become you know this other person who's supposedly killing it. I don't know, but that's what I hear, you know? And and it's always that temptation to constantly change from who you are. And I think exactly like you said, as entrepreneurs, we need to be ourselves and just lean into that authenticity. So going along with that, you guys have some, your B Corp, you have some amazing mission-driven objectives. Uh, can you tell us kind of how you got there? I think that's another big question for a lot of entrepreneurs is, should I give back in some way? I think entrepreneurs nat naturally want to help and make the world a better place. How did you arrive at that? And how has that process been for you? Yeah, so um, again, it's kind of about authenticity for me because I, you know, when we first started the company, we were a much more traditional skincare brand, uh, much more of what you would see on any skincare shelf. Um, I personally, uh, when I started this, started this in my basement in about a 6.9 or 6 by 9 room. Um, when I started, I never thought, you know, I'm going to be a plastic use, single use plastics act activist. But, you know, the reality is I used to live in the Caribbean and I saw marine life injured or killed by ocean waste plastics. I've learned a lot about plastic usage. Um and only one in five, so Johnson & Johnson did a study years ago um, that on, found that only one in five people recycles their personal care packaging. When you're in the kitchen and you have a recycle bin there, it's easy. But, you know, taking the extra step to walk it from the bathroom to the recycle bin, people just don't do it. They throw it in their trash can. Um, and that equates to 120 billion units of plastic every year. And I just... You know, with microplastics being in our soil, in our water systems, in our bloodstreams, and, and we have no idea what that long-term impact is. So 
for me, um, I just couldn't be a part of that anymore. So that's when we kind of transitioned our company to being a water and flas- uh, plastic free company. Um, we are, like you said, B Corp certified. Um, so, um, you know, like you said, we're a B Corp certified company. We're woman owned certified. We're actually plastic negative certified through Repurpose Global as well. So we can control the plastic that we put out into the world, but what we can't control is what comes into our warehouse. So we weigh every pound of plastic that comes into the warehouse or out and offset it two times through Repurpose Global. So it's really, we're really trying to do what we can to reduce that plastic usage. So that's that's something I feel strongly about. And, you know, when we made this transition, I was really worried that we were going to lose a lot of customers. But within six months, the plastic-free and water-free line was 72% of our sales already. So it's resonating with people. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, I think a lot of that is such a natural process of being a curious entrepreneur who's learning these new things. And and you start to learn data and and insights into industries and and start to ask like why is everyone doing it this way um so you said water free what's the challenge with water um it's really the ecological impact of shipping water away around the country you know it's just like bottled water there's already water in Wisconsin. I don't need to ship water to it. It also, you know, most lotions and and hand soaps are anywhere from 70 to 90% water. And our products are, you know, this is a solid shampoo bar. So it's uh, solid. Um, It's much more concentrated. It lasts longer. And it comes in a home compostable box. So um, it, it really makes the products more effective because they're not being diluted by water. One of the other things I'd love to learn, I mean, you guys have done really innovative, awesome products. Who, who drives that? And also as an entrepreneur yourself, that's all you. Awesome. This is going to really tie into this question. How did you discover that that was your role? And how have you learned how to own that role? I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. If I'm being 100% honest about the business, I, it kind of started by accident. I have just put on a seatbelt and gone along for the ride. Um, I read an article about triclosan, which is a um, really toxic chemical that's banned in most um, countries. Um, just fairly recently banned in the US, but it's in a lot of commercially produced products. And I just said, I'm not going to put these ingredients on my body anymore. And I don't want my family and friends doing that. So I rode my bike down to the bookstore and I got a book about how to make natural soap. And I started making it as a hobby. Um, Super fun. (laughs) It's actually quite creative. Um, But I just love that process of doing the research finding what the best impact is going to be and best outcome um, for people's skin and for their health. And um, so I just started making more and more products. And uh, then I didn't want anybody else doing it because it's my favorite part of the, 
of the job is really, you know, doing that research and um, figuring out what is going to be most helpful to people. Where's the white space in the market? What can we do to, you know, we have a dry shampoo that's all natural clay and sodium bicarbonate, things like that. Um, and there's recalls happening all over the place right now with dry shampoos because the um, aerosol cans have uh, butane and propane in them, really nasty things that people are spraying on themselves. So I've just, you know, I just want people to use clean plant-based ingredients. And so I do my best to find the cleanest ingredients that I can. It's amazing. What's so great, and, and I think this is a commonality amongst entre great entrepreneurs, is that's usually how great companies start. It's not this desire, I want to be a billionaire. I want to be my own boss. Anytime someone tells me that stuff, I'm like, I don't think that's actually a good way to start this. Uh, I actually think it's great when you're like, oh, I just solved this problem for myself. And then my friends and family started to say, wait, that's pretty great. That's an awesome product. Can I have some of that? Um, and I think that's such a difference from what we're kind of taught and, and preached from the entrepreneur, entrepreneur pulpit, so to speak. Yes. I mean, I have done everything backwards. I started the company and then years later made a business plan. <laughs> you know? I just, uh, I, I have done everything backwards, but which it's all working again, out. So yeah. Yeah. So great. Well, anytime someone asks me for a business plan, I'm like, I don't think you've been in many entrepreneurial businesses. So uh, not many people are making business plans these days. It's not really how it works. Um, that's a very MBA approach to business, uh, which is not necessarily bad, but I don't, I, I'm much more the, let's just get going. Let's just do stuff. Let's try stuff. Get in front of customers. How have you stayed connected to your customers? I think that's another thing that as businesses grow, it gets hard to keep that connection that you had in the early days. What have you done to kind of avoid that disconnections? Yeah, we, um, we survey our customers a lot. We talk to our top customers a lot. Um, I try to do, you know, virtual town hall meetings and things like that during COVID, you know, we were doing virtual town hall just to talk to customers and say what we're doing and, you know, get feedback from, people of what you need and want. Um, a lot of that now has become, you know, we still talk to our direct consumer customers a lot, but, you know, we're selling in retailers like Whole Foods and Kroger and things like that. So you don't always have that opportunity, but we do work really closely, like with our Whole Foods counterparts all come here for team builds because they can make soap and fun things like that. But we're able to get good feedback from them about what customers are saying and and what they're needing as well. So I, I'm that is amazing. I would love to ask with the virtual town hall, did you make that something where customers could could like throw out questions? Throughout Was that questions, just a zoom yes. and people awesome. A anything that like didn't as you did that, what what did you learn and change? So um we are raising capital um, and and through that process, we started with um, doing, you know, equity crowdfunds. And that's kind of where the town halls came in. We could we could say, you know, here's what we're raising money for. This is how we 
make a bar of soap right now. But if we had this piece of equipment, here's what it could do. And here's what the multiple on that for efficiency and things like that would be. And that was really, you know, the investors, our, our community that invested in us, um, really enjoyed kind of seeing how we do things and, and how we will go about doing things in the future. Um, and that kind of just morphed into having more town halls, um, not just for the community investors on our crowd funds, but for regular customers. And, you know, sometimes you get 20 people show up. Sometimes you get a lot of people show up. Sometimes you get hardly anybody showing up. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily um, always the same, but we allow people to ask questions. We, you know, they can put in the chat whatever they want. And we just try to give them updates on what's going on with the company, what we've got coming up, retailers that we have coming up, things like that. Yeah. What have you learned with the, I mean, the crowd equity thing, I think is something that people think about. Did that work? Would you do it again? Uh, I may do it again. Um, it was successful for sure. Um, I will say, you know, the crowdfunding platforms say that this is opening up their community community of investors to you. But in reality, what it's you doing is you asking your friends and your customers over and over again to invest. And that's where 90% plus of my investment came from was people that that are already followers of our brand. So it's not necessarily going to open the doors to new new investors. Sometimes yeah. it does, but not as much as you hope. Well, I think that's, that is the case with often, I mean, that's what's hard about even a Kickstarter is a lot of times it's, it's who you bring to the platform more than it is. They're going to, they're going to blow you up. So that's, that's super interesting. That's really great. Um, I also wanted to talk about retail. I think that's another place where a lot of, like you mentioned yourself, that wasn't something you had experience in. It wasn't something that you'd worked with buyers and how do you contact a buyer? I very was very similar. Before Pillowcube, I'd never, ever sold something into retail, never had talked to a buyer, didn't even really know what that meant. What would you tell people who are in a similar situation who want to get into retail um, but are trying to not make the same mistakes. Yeah. Start small, start local. Um, it's not as simple as just having success with the buyer and going, you know, here's our products. They like it. They put it on the shelf. That's the easy part. <laughs> the hard part Very is getting words. it off the shelf yeah. and, and into your basket. So it's not just that process of contacting the buyer, it's much more work after you get on the shelf. Um, I would start going direct with customers initially, you know, distribution is a whole nother ball game and it's expensive. So if you have the opportunity to like start with, um, in my case, I'll use a Sprouts or a Whole Foods or something like that in your region where you can ship to them direct, that's the best place to start. Um, you really want to 
go into a retailer and figure out how to make it a success story. So don't just take any buyer that comes to you and says they want your products. You want to make sure that you're following through with your um, buyers and, and making that story a success before you move on to the next one. So I know a lot of people just try to get in as many doors as possible and just hope it goes well. Um, that's not a good strategy. Yeah. So don't start with Walmart. Don't go right. to the biggest ones first. <laughs> yeah. Which I think I think those are the stories that we hear. We hear those stories of this person was, you know, never doing retail and then they got on QVC and did a hundred million dollars overnight. And it's like that's not the general rule, I would say. Right. Yeah. That is definitely not the general rule. You really want to have success stories with specific retailers that you can then share and with future retailers. You know, we started with velocities of this, and within three months, we had increased to this. Because that's going to give you a lot more value to the retailer than just saying, oh, we have pretty packaging and cool products. They want to know what's going to sell. And I think, like you said, as you get that success, you get one SKU that does really well. They want to work with less companies. They they don't want to have 10,000 clients. They want to have 100 clients. And so if you do a great job and you're on time and you're easy to work with and you, and you sell through well, they're like, hey, why don't we take that one SKU and make it 10? And it's that's how you get that growth. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been so fun. The time has flown by. Uh, I've been taking personal notes of like, oh yeah, we need to do that. That virtual town hall is a great idea, um, which is why I love talking with founders. I, I just, I think we learn from each other <clears throat> and it's always so fun. What, what call outs or call to action for the listeners would you like to ask them to go do? They can go and check out your products online. Would you? Yes, online. Foods, Kroger, Safeway, Albertsons. Um, do what you can to reduce your plastic usage. There are so many refill shops and so many, you know, opportunities to avoid plastics. Well, hopefully, people can uh, take that to heart. But what a cool opportunity! Thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom. It's always so fun to learn from another entrepreneur. <laughs>